everyone, it's Precious Pioneer here, and today I have such a wonderful guest, Mickey Bell, all the way from Birmingham, Alabama. This show really encompasses a lot of mixed feelings we may be facing right now, depression, uncertainty, anxiety, or maybe you know someone who's going through these stressors. But having a good support system or being a good supporter can make all of the difference. And sometimes... The truth will make you laugh. Let's jump in. Hi, welcome to Precious the Foodie Podcast, the show that will uncover stories through palettes and memories. My name is Precious Pioneer, your host. I'm a chef, a creative, and a foodie. I'm meeting people all over the world using food as a medium to highlight truths into bite-sized pieces. Hello, I'm Mickey Bell. I am a comedian from Birmingham, Alabama. (laughs) It's nice to meet you, Mickey. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be a part of your program. Uh, Mickey, I wanted to know a little bit about your background. Have you always lived in Birmingham, Alabama? I have always lived in Alabama. I have not always lived in Birmingham. Birmingham, for those that may not know, is in the central part of the state. I was born and raised in the northern part. But about 12 years ago, uh, my family, we moved to central Alabama, and that's where we raised our daughter, who is now uh, a junior in college. And so we, uh, we we like it here, being around Birmingham and being around the central part of the state. Uh, it's just a great place to live. <laughs> just a quick question. Is uh, Roll Tide relevant in your area, or is that just something completely different? See, you had to go there, didn't you? You had <laughs> to go there. That's so, my only connotation, really, yeah, with Alabama. <laughs> so you are correct. When you live in the state or you move to the state, you must declare either Roll Tide or War Eagle. And so that is mandatory. And people think that we're crazy when we say that. But then when you talk to people who moved here, they're like, yes, I had three months to decide. Um, So I am a Roll Tide. That means I'm a University of Alabama football fan. No, that's awesome. Okay, cool. So Roll Tide. I had a lot of friends who went there. And so I think I kind of just attached their logo. So I'm kind of safe every time I go and visit, you know, I'm on the good side, apparently. It is good that you said that because if you had said the other, we'd probably had to stop the interview right there. (laughs) So I wanted to know a little bit about Alabama's food scene. What is some, what would you say are some signature dishes that you could only find in Alabama or something that you grew up, your mom cooking or uh, something that, you know, you grew up with that nobody else really knows about? Okay, that's two different things. In North Alabama, growing up with my mom, I got the Southern cooking. So when you talk about Southern cooking, we're not talking about cornbread from a bag. We're talking about homemade from scratch, put in an iron skillet, cornbread with crust around it, no sugar. And then that usually goes with a pot of pinto beans that had like a ham bone cooked inside of it. And then we had fried okra, which is not the breaded okra that you see, but just a little concoction of its own. Cream-styled corn is one of the things that's very popular here. Mm. So that was the type of meal that I grew up with. In fact, I'm starving to death right now. (laughs) I think I need to call my mama. 
Um, but that, that is the type of food that I grew up with. When you come into Alabama, especially around Birmingham, you are going to find that barbecue, barbecue ribs, that seems to be the type of meal that people usually come to Birmingham for. We have some award-winning barbecuers, if that's what you call them, restaurants mm. that prepare that. Things like Bob Sykes Barbecue is very well known. 60 plus years that the family has been producing barbecue in the area. Then you've got Dreamland, which is the real place. And I mentioned those, and that kind of connects to what you talked about with Alabama football, Alabama and Auburn football, because those people, those fans that are headed to Tuscaloosa will stop off in Birmingham, either on their way down or on their way back from the game. And those are the top foods that they will take part of. No, that's that sounds super, super amazing. So I'm a military kid, so I've lived a little bit of everywhere. And I know people, depending on your region, are super particular about their barbecue. And I, I'm happy to hear that that's like a barbecue town. I'm curious on your barbecue sauce. There's either the saucy types or the seasoned types. And then also, if you're a saucy type, is it more of the Southern like super sweet or is it more of Texan style, spicy and tangy, more vinegary side of sauce? All right, so whenever you're talking about the different restaurants that I mentioned, they are known for their sauce. So you go to a particular, like if you're craving a particular type of sauce, that's how you choose which location or which restaurant you're going to go and eat. And so I'm more of the sweet side of the sauce. I don't really like a lot of the tangy. So I go more toward the Bob Sykes barbecue. And so that's kind of that's kind of where I lean. I'm more toward mm -hmm. the sweet side. No, I like I I think I am too. Though I I'm not so so big of a fan of the tangy side, but what if we are going sweet, I like that hint I like the hints of spiciness in it. Sometimes yes. they add like chili flakes or something that kind of has like a subtle heat to it, and that's my favorite kind of barbecue sauce, I think. If I go more toward the tangy, then I want to be able to have it on the side so I can determine how much of it I want on my barbecue. Mm -hmm. That's that's a good point too. But sauce on the side for the tangy. Yes. <laughs> So going into a little bit about your story, how did you, you're a comedian, so how did that even come to play? You know, I think when most people pick a career, it's usually a little bit more standardized. And some people are class clowns and they grow up that way and they're like, oh, you know what? Like I can pick this as an occupation. What was kind of your mindset as you decided that career? Was it an easy, straightforward decision or was it something that came to be with your life experiences? Wow, that's a great question. So what I did was all the way through high school and as a kid, I was always that individual that was trying to make people laugh. I never set out as a kid to say, I'm going to grow up and be a comedian. That's just kind of who I was and who I was about. So if people got around me, they knew that they were going to be laughing. And I was always going to be the one that was joking around. Now, I was not the class clown because there's a difference. There's a class clown and then there's a class instigator. And mm -hmm. the difference is this. The class clown is the one that runs naked across the football field. The class instigator is the one that talked them into it and told them it would be funny. So I'm the class instigator. I'm mm. the one to convince people to do crazy stuff. You're the so brains. That that's that was me. <laughs> I was the one. Who, oh, that would be funny. Um, so whenever I, I grew up and just you know started the family, I, I traveled as an entertainer, as a musician, came off the road, uh, just had some things happen in my life, just some decisions that I made, just some paths that I went through that were not pleasant. One of those is the fact that I that I fell into a major pit of depression, and for an entire year. 
uh, I was unable to get out of the bed. I did not want to go anywhere. I didn't want to be around people. And if you know my personality from growing up, you know, that is totally opposite of who I am. And so during that moment, I lost my job. I lost my house where we were living. I did not lose my family, even though they had reason to leave. They stuck by me and said, no, we're going to fight with you through this. So for an entire year, I fought depression. And then it happened that I had a psychologist and a physician that partnered up with me, that met with me every week for an entire year just to get me out of bed. So whenever I was fighting through that, I can remember that I had a moment that in talking to God in my prayers, I was saying things like, God, if you would allow me to be able to laugh again, then I will spend the rest of my life helping other people laugh. When I started being able to laugh again, that's when I started realizing the power of laughter and the power of using that to help people throw down some walls that they have in their life. So whenever I came out of that, then I got back into broadcasting uh, through radio and was doing that. And of course, I was using my laughter and my entertainment through the means of public radio. Well, then the radio station decided they were going to flip formats. And if you don't know what that means, that means they decided that the music that I was actually playing at the time, they were going to change it to a totally different format, which meant they didn't need me anymore. So I didn't know what I was going to do. I was at another crossroads, didn't know where I was going to head. Well, then people started inviting me to come to their events. And they're like, you're hilarious. You're funny. You ought to come and either MC this event or give us some comedy moments in between this. Well, that just started and I've been doing that for a year now and it's just hard to believe. But that's kind of a little bit of my story of how I ended up doing what I'm doing now. So I'm traveling the country and I am not only making people laugh, but at every show that I do, I will take about three or four minutes, talk about my depression and talk about the importance of people who are battling those things to get the help that they need. No, I that's a pow- that's a really powerful story because I think there's... There's, um, how do I describe it? It takes a lot of courage to take something that has caused such darkness and such sadness in your life and be able to talk about it openly, to be able to connect with other people who are possibly going through the same experiences that you have had and turned it into something that can pour something that light can pour into, you know, to transition it, transform it into something that you can connect with people over to transform it into something that can help people get out of bed, you know, and I think it's a really uh, powerful story in that sense. And I think that's really amazing what you've been able to over not only overcome, but do with it, transform it. Thank you so much. I do appreciate that. It's It was a struggle. Uh, I had an opportunity after I went through what I went through. I had a publishing company call me and said, hey, we're interested in your story. And not because mine's different from everyone else, but it was because I was willing to be so transparent. And so I ended up writing a book called I Am David, even though my name's Mickey, it's called I Am David, kind of reflects the David, the King David that we read about uh, in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so my life kind of paralleled about around his, the fact that his brothers rejected him. His father didn't want anything to have to do with him really, except for letting him work. And so I had to deal with some issues in my own life, finding out at the age of 13 that when I was born, I was actually adopted. So the family that had had me were not really my family. And I didn't know who my family was. 
So I had a lot of issues, self-abandonment issues that led to that. I was always afraid people were going to walk out of my life. So I wrote the book and in that book, I was very transparent. And when I say transparent, I mean, I told you everything I did wrong. I told you what I was thinking when I was doing it, things that I regretted. That's very embarrassing. So whenever I wrote the book and people started uh, responding positively about that, then when I got on stage, it was much easier to talk about. And then I realized that I'm not sharing my story to make fun of myself or to bring a bad light to myself, but knowing that my story and my struggle and the path that I have taken, if I can use that to help someone else, then that helps free me up to realize I have a purpose in life and I no longer have to go back to that dark side where I used to be because now I'm being used to help other people. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I just, I had a couple of questions. You, you first transitioned into this depression. Were there any, usually when someone, uh, is depressed, it, it could either be caused by triggers of something that happened, like traumatic things happened, someone passed away, you, you uh, accumulation of things that have happened. Yeah. And so I wanted to know, were there any warning signs or you just woke up one day and it happened? You just didn't feel like getting out of bed? You know, what are, what were those beginning signs that you began to feel a certain way? Because I feel like depression sometimes can be just an accumulation or a very quick impact of something that had happened. Absolutely. Sure. So whenever I became an adult, uh, again, I found out at age 13 that I was adopted. At the age of 13, I had this mindset that, okay, I'm good. If they didn't want me then, I don't want them now. And, you know, my parents who adopted me were precious and said, if you want to find out who your family is, we'll gladly take you to them. And I said, no, absolutely not. So I didn't want to know their name. I didn't know. I didn't want to know what they looked like. Nothing. I just I, I had that mindset. So when I became an adult, I'm married, got a kid. Uh, I'm working. I'm serving people. Uh, I'm a leader in the community. I'm a, I'm a public figure in my small community. And so I started realizing I am making decisions that are bad for me. Uh, I am making relationship decisions. I am making decisions and I'm thinking, why am I making these decisions? What's causing me to do that? And so when I started making these decisions where I lost my job, I lost my house, almost lost my family, then that's when I had to find out, okay, what is wrong with me? Why am I having these tendencies? And so whenever you talk to a drug addict or an alcoholic, they will tell you that whenever uh, life got hard, I would either run to the bottle or I would run uh, to the drugs. Well, for me, I was running to relationships. I was trying to find so many different relationships. And it was almost like I had to have a backup relationship just in case this one fell through. And what I didn't realize is what was deposited on me at age 13 was abandonment issues. And what I now can see throughout my high school days, throughout college, through everything that I've been through, what I can see now is I was making decisions based on the self-abandonment abandonment issues that I really didn't realize that I had. So now when I started getting help for my depression with my, uh, with my psychologist and those type of people, we started digging deep and finding out that I was making these decisions because I was afraid of being alone. And I didn't realize that. I thought that, okay, it's behind me. I made the decision. It's not going to have an effect on me, but it actually did. And so I didn't really find out until I was an adult, until I actually got caught, until I actually had to start dealing with some of the consequences of my decisions. Then that's when I started realizing why I was making those decisions. So did I have one particular incident? Not really, but I can date it back to finding out 
that I had people that walked out of my life that was supposed to be there for me. I'm almost speechless because I feel like I definitely have lived through that exact, almost exact same parallel of what you're experiencing. I mentioned that I'm a military child, but what comes with that is the constant connection and then leaving a lot of people. And so I also had to like realize um, that sort of uh, dissonance from people and Mm -hmm. the fact that it took a while for you to like realize it because it's so subconscious. You think that you're fine and you think that you're okay and you're able to process certain things, but subconsciously those sort of bonds are really important to you. And so Mm -hmm. when you lose sight of that without recognizing those feelings and sitting with those feelings of how you actually felt in that moment, it can kind of become something in the back of your head that you make these actions or choices subconsciously without realizing the root of it. And so I think that's just really interesting how you were able to figure that out after years later, how how all of these actions stemmed from that moment in your life of abandonment or not being able to connect or, or finding the need to have a backup relationship because you didn't, not necessarily that you didn't trust the one that you're in, but because you were afraid of Most losing definitely. that anyway, you know? And I was and- happy. That's the thing. I was happy. Things were great. It's not like my current relationship was fight, that we were fighting all the time. And, and I can remember my wife coming to me during that time. And she says, am I not enough? And, you know, and I'm like, well, yeah, I don't know what's going on with me. And so when we started figuring it out, then that's when it started kind of a light bulb kind of went off. And I think for the listeners that are tuned in today, I think that's what's important with what you just said. And with part of my story is don't just try to find help to cope with the decisions you're making. In other words, if you have an issue with overeating, if you have an issue with alcohol or drugs, if you have an issue with relationships, don't just try to fix your reaction. Find out what's causing you to react in that way. Because if you'll find out what causes you to react in that way, you can have a much more happier and fulfilled life. Because it's now, it's not about why do I keep going to the kitchen and eating? Why do I keep overeating when I get emotional? Okay, find out why you're overeating and not just try to fix the overeating part. Is that making sense? Right, exactly. (laughs) So don't treat the reaction, treat what's causing you to react that way. Exactly. Right. You have to get down to the cure of it all. You know, some sometimes a lot of these situations, you kind of put a bandaid on it and then it'll heal and then but you cut yourself again. You know, it's like you have to figure out what what's in your path that's causing you to trip over these things or make the same habits over and over again. That's causing that, you know, and I think you make a really good point. It's not a reaction. It should be something that a a preventative measure, you know, like what how do you stop it before it even occurs? You know, and that's a mental thing. That's a psychology, like a a psych thing. You have to figure that out in yourself first. And that's so powerful when you figure that out. It is so powerful uh, to know, okay, this is how I can I can live a happier life. This is this is a way for me to but able to smile uh, a little bit more. Uh, not because I'm not running to what helps me get through a current moment, but I'm actually kicking the whole problem and the whole issue. Uh, in general. And I don't have to worry about those days of being dark because I know where I know the moments that I need to walk away from and I need those times and those triggers like you like you mentioned earlier, then I know exactly what to watch out for and I can keep myself from going to that dead end. 
Exactly. I have a question about um, your relationship with your family during that time, because I think that one of the biggest issues that you said, I, I think you used a really good comparison how it's uh, related to alcohol, alcoholism or drugs and things like that, and that you lose a lot of people from those tendencies. And you're very fortunate to you know, have your family there by your side. But what would you say that they did a little bit differently because oftentimes like things with depression or things that adversities and stuff like that that are mental and can't be seen but they are solely seen by reactions and how your actions in general like how you couldn't get out of bed or how you feel and things like that those things aren't necessarily visible it's not a visible sort of sickness or because it's a state of mind you know so how would you say that I guess the question that I'm asking is, um, what would you say was a little bit different from your experience with your family support that you would say stood out and helped you to overcome what you did in that year? That really is a great question um, because that is one of the things that a lot of people will use as a hindrance of trying to get the help that they need. So let me try to take a very, very long, long answer and shorten it into this way. My family that raised me were very loving people. I have absolutely nothing bad to say about them. But let me also share with you that in the culture that I was raised in, you didn't go and get psychology help. You didn't go and talk to a doctor. It was, even though they didn't say it, it was one of those things where, all right, if you've got an issue, well, then you just need to pray more. Or if you've got an issue, then you just deal with it. And so growing up, it never dawned on me, hey, I might need to go get some counseling. That was never an option. Not that it wasn't an option that they said, absolutely not. You're not going to get counseling. It was just that wasn't something that we even thought about because it wasn't in our culture. None of our family members ever went and got counseling. So it wasn't like we ever thought of that as being an option. And so I guess to, to better answer your question, they loved me enough that even though something was wrong, that they chose to walk the journey with me. So they're saying, okay, this is unknown territory for all of us, but we love you enough that we're willing to learn. And I think that's the thing is that your family members have got to understand that if they don't understand it fully, that's okay. You don't have to have all the answers. Just be willing to prop me up while I learn the answers for myself. I don't need people to walk with me, telling me what to do, just be there to hold me, just be there to encourage me, just be, just be able to learn uh, what is taking place in my life so that maybe we can help other people with that. And so that's what my wife and my daughter, that's what they were willing to do as well. They had never been to counseling sessions. They, they had never been, that had never come across our mind. We just, we just didn't know about it. We uh, sure we knew it was out there, but you know, we just thought that that was for more in depth issues than what I was facing. Mm-hmm. So, when I started going and getting the counseling and they started seeing the positives, well, then you know, my daughter uh, went and started getting some counseling as well for having to deal with me. And <laughs> so, we, we found out then. So, then it opened it up. Well, then, guess what? Then, my family, my siblings, my brothers and sisters decided, you know what? I'm going through some stuff. Maybe I could benefit from that. And so it really just opened up that door. But to answer your question, it was the fact that they were willing to walk through uncharted territory with me instead of relying strictly on what they knew and what they thought would work. 
they they took the mindset of if you think this is going to help you, then we're going to walk there with you. No, I think that's I think that's so beautiful because you hit the nail on the head. It, I feel like with therapy and with oh, the stigma around that, there's so much stigma, especially in cer- ingrained in certain cultures and especially with a strong faith narrative. You know, I'm partially a black woman, so we are just told to be strong and, you know, also pray about it and all these things. And there is a connotation with therapy uh, being for, you know, someone who has deeper rooted issues mm-hmm. and like someone, you know, who maybe on the connotation is no, you're crazy, you know, things like that. And I think taking a step back and the fact that your family was able to try, like realize that this situation was a problem and that possibly could be a solution and be willing to take that chance with you and just support you along the way. You know, even if it was just a hand to hold, I think that moves mountains because sometimes it does require you to take a step out of the normal or something, a step out of what you're comfortable with to make that step with you. And I think that's really powerful, especially when you're going through something that you don't really understand yourself, you know? Most definitely. And the fact that they they learned along the process as well. They started being able to deal with some things themselves. So you kind of be, you're kind of like that guinea pig. But what really I guess what really got them on board was, you know, we talked it earlier when we started the interview, I went from being the life of the party to having no life at all. And mm-hmm. so they recognized there is something desperately wrong here. And so out of their love for me. And so if I could encourage real quick, anyone that's listening, maybe you're not the person that's fighting the issues. Maybe you are supposed to be the support group. It's okay not to know what to say. And it's okay not to know what to do. If you could just encourage them to find the answer, that's really all we need. We don't need you to tell us what you think. We don't need you to give us your opinion. We don't need you to have all the answers. We just need you to say, look, whatever you need to do to find the answer, I'll be there with you. That's the type of support that we need when we're fighting the type of demons that we're fighting. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I think I think that's beautiful. Okay, so um, now you're a comedian and your passion is to make people laugh. Like that's your why. I always love finding the why in people because it just sparks so much joy and doing something that fulfills you each day and could also bring a lot of joy to other people. And so I was wondering like, is uh, with everything that you're doing, uh, what kind of legacy would you like to leave behind if one at all? Man, goodness. I thought we were going to talk about donuts on here. and you're, <laughs> you're pulling this deep stuff out. Um, You know, I I found out and uh, I found out by accident. I say by accident because I didn't know it was going to happen. One of the first few uh, months of me doing the comedy and being invited to these events was that I felt led in my own self to share part of my story. And so in those moments, I would have people come up to me afterwards and they would say things like, Mickey, you made me laugh so hard and I've not been able to laugh in a long time. And I would say, why? And they would start sharing their story with me. And then that light started going off. And it was like that bell was like, ding, 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 ding. (laughs) The comedy allowed me to be able to tear down the wall because it it allowed me to be able to pull them in 
and it allowed them to be able to relax with me. And then when I started sharing what I was going through, it allowed them to come to the realization of what they were facing. And so the comedy was, I say it this way, the comedy was a way for me to be able to trick them. I was able to trick them into letting their guard down. And even though they laughed, it wasn't like I was preaching at them and it wasn't like I was beating them over the head. It was just the fact that I was allowing them to realize, hey, wait a minute, this guy is doing this kind of laughter and he's doing this and he was in the pit that I'm in right now, then they would automatically come up to me and I would be able to encourage them and give them uh, directives on what they need to do. So if I was going to leave a legacy, it would just simply be the fact that I want to be so transparent in my life that if you can learn from my mess ups, I don't want to hide them. I want to expose them. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we are given multiple chances. You're not one and done. And, you know, I always say this, God is not just the God of the second chance. He's the God of the 150th chance. He never gives up on us. And even though you may have family and friends and coworkers that tend to give up on you, God is not like that. And I only bring him into the picture because of the fact that he's the one that created us and put the purpose down inside of us. So as long as I can continue to encourage people and as long as I can continue to make people laugh, I never realize until that night that there may be an individual that their life is saved simply because they laughed for the first time in a long time. Amen. I love that. Wow. Okay. Um, no, I think that, uh, I think that what you said sparks a lot of truth to be like, uh, to be a little bit redundant. Cause that's the word I was going to use anyway. Yeah. I was going to say that, uh, the best jokes usually stem from subtle truths. Like I feel like the best jokes when you are transparent and you just tell your story and someone can relate from that and relate from the awkwardness and the stumbles because they have also gone through that. Those are the funniest moments because you can envision yourself in that moment. You can laugh at yourself. Right. It gives you permission to just to understand, to relate in that same feeling and understand that someone else went through it and then just chuckle about it. And you know, some of the best comics that you know, some that have taken their own life and some that are still with us today, some of the best comics have the deepest issues. So if you look at my credentials, I'm on a great path right now because I can be funny and I can be one of those top comedians because I've had some deep issues. Mm -hmm. It's like laughing at, not not necessarily laughing at your pain, but with us, you know, with it, with your pain. Okay, so we can transition to a little bit lighter now, you know. Just when are we going to talk about donuts? I thought <laughs> I was... we were going to talk about donuts. <laughs> you brought it up, and so I definitely want to ask you as the final closing questions. Um, what would you say in Alabama? What would you say is your favorite Southern dessert? Oh goodness, girl! Mm. Depends on what day it is. That's a good answer. <laughs> Depends on what that, I mean, because honestly, we have got some great places down here that have some great desserts. Um, I mean, from uh, the strawberry shortcake, I think that's one of my favorites, mm-hmm. a well-prepared strawberry shortcake. Uh, and when I say it? well-prepared, I'm talking about the strawberry has the juice that kind of makes the cake moist. I don't need the cake to be moist by itself. I need it to have... I need it to be moist from the strawberry juice. Mm, mm, 
I feel like I haven't had a good one of those since I was a little kid. And it wasn't even, I wouldn't even say it was like a good one because, it, you know, those, I don't know if they still sell, sell them at the store anymore. They used to sell those little, those mini strawberry shortcake cakes in the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, as a no, little kid, I used to eat those, but those are hardly the same as, you know, a homemade one. Mm-mm. Girl, this, some of this strawberry shortcake that's down here in Birmingham right now, if you're not a believer, you would become a believer. It's, it's just, <laughs> oh my goodness. And they make their homemade whipping. So it's not like Cool Whip out of the bowl. It's right. like they make their own and oh my goodness. Mm. It's mm-hmm. a season for it now, isn't it? It is. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It depends on what day of the week, because during this time, this would be our strawberry cor- uh strawberry shortcake season. But now, if you want to talk about Southern food that you can't just get anywhere else, then you got to talk about the homemade apple pies, not oh. the pies that come in a circular dish. I'm talking about the fried apple pies that they fold and make individually. Oh, like turnovers? The fried apple pies. Are those like turnovers? Yes. Y'all call them turnovers. Yes, turnovers. (laughs) But it's one of those where they make it themselves and you can still see their fingerprints in the indentions of the dough that they put their apple filling in. And then Mm. they kind of fried those things. Oh, good. (laughs) Okay, give me one more just to like top us off. Is there any, is there another recommendation you've got? Let's see. What? um, Well, you know, we have, we're very... Down in the South, we do things like fried Oreos and we do things like fried chocolate dip bananas. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, we have a lot of things like that. But your strawberry shortcake. Now, it, Southern cooking. Okay. Southern cooking would include like peanut butter cakes, mm-hmm. uh, coconut cakes. Coconut cakes are good. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would kind of be the way to go. Well, thank you so much, Mickey. Okay, so something that I do with all of my guests on the show, um, if you have, if the listener didn't have the opportunity to listen to anything that we have said thus far, what is one thing or a couple of things that you would just like to leave them with? Like a drop the mic moment or a peace out, I'm leaving sort of, hey, this is my last two cents. What would you have to say? Peace out. <laughs> Send donuts. Um, I would probably encourage any person that is listening right now that if you are in a place in your life where you're not happy or you just kind of feel like there has to be more to life than what you're experiencing, don't stop running after your purpose and your dream because when you find your purpose in life, that's when you're going to realize that's when the life becomes more abundant is when you're able to find out why you were put on this earth and you start living that life. That's when you'll start enjoying life. Wow. I like that a lot. And then send me donuts. (laughs) And then send you donuts. Thank you so much, Mickey, for being a guest on the show. I feel like everyone can, has gained something from this. You know, I think you were, you managed to put a smile on everyone's face. I, I loved your energy and just thank you so much. I really appreciated our conversation. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm so glad that you're doing this and I wish you all the best. I loved having that chat. It was so beautiful and refreshing. If you want to reach out to Mickey or check out his book, they'll be linked in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review wherever you're listening. That'll really help to support me and the creation of the show. If you want to keep up with the show, you can find us on YouTube at Precious Pioneer or on Instagram at Precious the Foodie. But have a wonderful rest of your week. Happy hump day. And don't forget to tune in on Friday for a bonus episode. 
Live life with love and love food with life. Catch you next time.